The left ardently desires to paint all Republicans as racist, none more so than Trump Attorney General appointment Senator Jeff Sessions. Sessions has been hit with allegations of racism over and over. He's got actual racist Al Sharpton protesting him. Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey, is scheduled to testify against Sessions, presumably on the basis of race, and also because Booker is preparing to run for president in 2020. But the left's desire for the racism charge doesn't stop with Sessions. It affects even his grandchildren. Here is MTV News culture writer Ira Madison the third, not the second or the first. He wrote, Sessions, sir, kindly return this Asian baby to the Toys R Us you stole her from. And it's a picture of Jeff Sessions with a, a small Asian child on his lap. And he says, the girl on Sessions' lap is not adopted. It's his granddaughter, which is not surprising. There's no reason for that child to be in his lap in a hearing other than to send an I'm not racist message. Why is she a prop? Sessions argued for policy that in the 1880s was used to discriminate against Asian Americans. In fact, Americans have long used Asian Americans as model minorities since the rise of the Civil Rights Act, etc., etc., etc. So basically what he is suggesting is that this Asian child is just a prop. He, so, you know, what's, what's the point of all of this? Uh, the point of all of this is that Sessions' granddaughter is Asian, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't secretly hate Asians and everyone else who isn't white, which is disgusting. Sessions has always been tough on illegal immigration and in favor of heavy restrictions on legal immigration. That's not race-specific or race-centric. As for the aesthetic of a granddaughter sitting on Sessions' lap during the hearing, is that supposed to be off-putting or politically gauche? I mean, Nancy Pelosi did it. We saw Bill and Hillary Clinton do it. This isn't the first time leftists have attacked a Republican for the sin of cross-racial grandchildren. In December 2013, an entire MSNBC panel mocked the Romney family for having a black grandchild. Melissa Harris-Perry was actually forced to apologize on air for it, but this is how many on the left feel. Republicans aren't allowed to have cross-racial relatives or friends because they're obviously terrible racists. Or perhaps they're not the terrible racists. Maybe the actual terrible racists are the people who think that anyone who disagrees with them has to be incapable of racial acceptance. The people who connect race and politics inextricably. People who make jokes about Asian dolls from Toys R Us, for example. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, so here we are. It's a brand new day and lots to talk about. First, in breaking news, apparently the Trump administration is not going to be putting the the U.S. Embassy in Israel in Jerusalem. They're, they're going to be leaving it in Tel Aviv. That's not a tremendous shock, except for the fact that it had been promised a bunch of times, but not a huge surprise. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow in detail. But the big story of the day is obviously the Jeff Sessions hearing. Uh, the, the Attorney General of the United States, Trump's appointment to the Attorney Generalship, is being ripped apart by the left. And we'll get to all of that in just one second, as well as the innate leftism, the, the innate racism of the left in, in one second. But first, we have to say hello to our advertisers at Bull and & Branch. And thank you to them, obviously, for helping to sponsor the program. Bull & Branch, fantastic company. I've now ordered three pairs of sheets from Bull & Branch because they are so good. These are the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. They are first rate. I'm somebody who doesn't sleep well normally. I sleep very lightly, and sheet quality, I never knew. Until you have great sheets, you actually don't know what you're missing. Uh, you don't know what it's like to sleep on a good sheet until you've actually slept on a good sheet. And uh, so I've been sleeping on you know tarps that I get from the local gas station. Um, but then I got Bowl and & Branch, and I got to say that the quality of the sheets is fantastic. I sleep better. They breathe. Uh, they're very comfortable. And they make everything from bedding to blankets. It's made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft, and then they get actually softer over time. I can attest. I love them. Apparently, three ex-presidents sleep on Bowl & Branch sheets, which means that a lot of other people who are not married to those presidents if you're Bill Clinton, presumably also have slept and enjoyed Bull and Brand sheets, but the sheets themselves are fantastic. Right now, you go there, and 
you get $50 off your first order from Bull and Branch. 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com. Promo code Ben. Luxury sheets, like really, really nice sheets, can cost like $1,000. Bull and Branch sheets run a couple hundred bucks. It sounds expensive until you realize that you sleep on those sheets like all the time, right? Every night, and you can wash them once a week and that's it. You just the same pair of sheets. It's fantastic. So fifty percent, uh, fifty dollars off your first set of sheets from Bull and Branch at Bull and Bull and Branch dot com promo code Ben Bull and Branch dot com promo code Ben. I really cannot recommend this product highly enough. I really, I really do love my Bull and Branch sheets. And as I say, I have gone out and bought three pairs of them myself because I like them so much. So beyond the advertiser discount that I get, I actually went out and bought the product because it's that good. Okay, so lots to get to. We begin today. With the, with the hubbub over Jeff Sessions. So the senator from Alabama, who uh, I know a little bit personally, he's always been very cordial to me, very nice guy. Um, he's also been slammed as a racist by people on the left without real evidence. So here is what they say to call him a racist. And we can just implode these myths right now. Apparently, uh, there was back in the 1980s, the Democrats smeared him with accusations of racism, which included calling a black attorney boy, quipping about the KKK, joking that a white attorney was a traitor to his race because he was collaborating with a civil rights group, calling the NAACP and ACLU un-American, and prosecuting a civil rights organization for voter fraud. Except that pretty much all of those remarks were made in front of a black lawyer, and even the lawyer who accused Sessions of racism acknowledged that Sessions was clearly joking. So he just didn't like the jokes, and then he accused Sessions of being a real-life racist. Well, honest to goodness, if every joke that anybody ever made that has a racial undertone uh, were taken seriously, then I'm pretty certain that almost 100% of the population would be labeled a racist in these sorts of hearings. And that's what Democrats do. They like to, they, they can't find any evidence in, in Sessions' record of actual racism. Instead, what they seek to do is dredge up old conversations in which he told a joke that somebody didn't like. That must mean that he's a racist. That's really gross. The Weekly Standard's Mark Hemingway has written about this. He says, as a U.S. attorney, Sessions filed several cases to desegregate schools in Alabama. He prosecuted the head of the state clan, Henry Francis Hayes for abducting and killing Michael Donald, a black teenager selected at random. He insisted on the death penalty. When he was elected the state attorney general, Sessions followed through. He made sure Hayes was executed. The successful prosecution of Hayes led to a $7 million civil judgment against the Klan, which effectively destroyed the KKK in Alabama. The left doesn't like Sessions because Sessions is a very hardcore law and order guy. He is not going to be cracking down on police for stupid reasons like the, the Holder Justice Department and the Lynch Justice Department have done. He's very strong on illegal immigration. He was asked at the hearings this morning about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program under Barack Obama. He said, look, we're going to enforce the law. It's Congress's job to make the law. It's my job to enforce the law. This is exactly right. This is how government is supposed to work. The executive branch is the executive branch. They execute. It is not their job to individually rewrite law. Good for Sessions. Well, the left must declare him a, a liar. That's that's what they have to do. They, they have to declare him a liar and a racist. And so they are now trotting out all sorts of people saying this. The Democratic Party has released a video about Jeff Sessions suggesting that he is, of course, a racist. When Donald Trump needed to find an attorney general, all he had to do was look to his alt-right. Republican Senator Jeff Sessions was a U.S. attorney in Alabama when then-President Ronald Reagan nominated him for the federal court. But the appointment broke down at Sessions' 1986 confirmation hearing when allegations over his alleged racial remarks took center stage. Jeff Sessions is a man ahead of his time. He was alt-right when it was still just called racism. Thomas Figures, a black former assistant U.S. attorney in Alabama, testified Sessions called him boy and joked about the Ku Klux Klan. And warned him about the way he spoke to white people. 
That was then. But who is Jeff Sessions now? Session is still a racist. Jeff Sessions has shown both in his career as a U.S. attorney, but also in his career as a United States senator, has been in hostility to the enforcement of civil rights, particularly in the area of voting rights. He's also opposed to same-sex marriage, Roe v. Wade, Equal Pay, the Violence Against Women Act, and universal background checks for gun purchases. So they're saying that he's against same-sex marriage. Okay, that doesn't make you a bad nominee for attorney general. Lots of people are. Roe v. Wade is the worst legal decision in American history outside of Dred Scott. Uh, equal Pay. Uh, he's not against equal pay. He's against the, the federal government making it easy to, to sue people based on no evidence of wage discrimination. The Violence Against Women Act. He's not against, the vi- against, against prosecuting violence against women. The Violence Against Women Act contains some provisions that were not good in, ramif- in, in actual application. Universal background checks on guns he's opposed because they're useless and stupid. So you know, the, the idea here is they don't like his agenda, therefore Jeff Sessions must be a racist. And this is how the left always act. And then they wonder why this, this card just doesn't have any weight anymore. There are actual racists in the United States. There are actually alt-right people. Not all people who call themselves alt-right are actually alt-right. There are actual Richard Spencer, Jared Taylor type alt-right people who are actual, out, honest-to-goodness racists. When you lump in Jeff Sessions with those people, all you're doing is making those people appear legitimate, not making Sessions appear illegitimate. And that's really stupid of the left, but they can't help themselves. They've gone off the rails. They've been off the rails for a long time. It's just that Trump, I think, has sent them finally over that last cliff. So all the protesters showed up at this at this Sessions hearing. Again, if these people think that this is going to stop Sessions or do anything except make Americans think that radical leftists are out of their damn minds, they have to they have to be joking. Here here's Code Pink at the uh, at the event. This is what they were doing. Why am I being taken out of here? This man is evil, pure evil. Do not vote for Jim Sessions. Do not vote for Jim Sessions. Yes, we should take you. His name is Jeff Sessions. <laughs> you got the crazy code pink ladies this is saying he's evil. Don't vote for Bobo Sessions. Don't vote for Demetrius Sessions. If you can't get his name right, I'm not going to take you very seriously on whether you think that he's a, a real threat to the republic. I don't remember, you know, back in 1939, people going, I can't believe that we're going to have to fight this evil, evil dictator, Hans Hitler. If you'd said that, then people might have said, well, his name's, I'm not going to, no, no. He was, she wasn't the only one. A bunch of people dressed up in, uh, in KKK outfits showed up as well. <laughs> a lot of them don't have jobs. Uh, also, if you're, if you're going to really go through the effort of dressing up as a KKK member and shouting, go Jeff, Ego," wouldn't you actually get something that looks a little more like a KKK outfit and not like you just went in the bathroom, ripped off a couple of pieces of, of paper towel and wrapped them around your head? That's pretty weak tea right there. I mean, like, like really go full out. If you're really going to protest in this fashion, let me just suggest that you really, you know, go out for the, for the costumes. It ain't that hard. I mean, goodness gracious. So these people show up and they, they make asses of themselves. And then this is supposed to convince Americans that Sessions is a racist. Or does it just convince you that people on the left have lost their damn minds? I'm going to go with the latter. Meanwhile, Sessions yeah, came out and he, he immediately gives a statement. He says, of course, I abhor the Klan. Um, this you know, should go without saying, but here is Senator Sessions on this. Let me address another issue straight on. I was accused in 1986 of failing to protect the voting rights of African-Americans by presenting the Perry County case, the voter fraud case, and of condemning civil rights advocates and organizations and even harboring 
amazingly, sympathies for the KKK. These are damnably false charges. For I abhor the Klan and what it represents and its hateful ideology. I insisted uh, uh, Marsh Dees of the Southern Poverty Law Center and his lawsuit that led to the uh, successful uh, collapse of the Klan, at least in Alabama, the seizure of their building, at least for that period of time. As Civil Rights Division attorneys have testified before the committee, I supported fully their historic cases that the Justice Department filed to advance civil rights and that I supported, including cases to desegregate schools, abolish at-large elections for cities, county commissions, and school boards. These at-large elections were mechanisms used to block African-American candidates from being able to be elected to boards and commissions. It was a deliberate and part of a systemic plan to reduce the ability of African-Americans to have influence in the election and governing process. Okay, so look, Sessions knows how to defend himself. He's going to do fine. He's going to sail through confirmation. But that's not going to stop the left from trying to pillory all Republicans as racist, horrible people. Again, the left can't just stick to charges that, that actually work. Instead, they have to go to their ultimate extreme, which is calling people racist. Cory Booker is uh, the senator from from. New Jersey, he obviously wants to run for president in 2020, and he apparently is going to testify against Sessions today, and everybody is very much expecting him to go out there and basically call Sessions a racist, which is not only a breach of Senate decorum, it's also not true, Um, but let's just recall Cory Booker from 2013 uh, talking about how wondrous it is, well, actually it was earlier this year, I guess, it was February 2016, talking about how wondrous it was to work with Jeff Sessions on honoring civil rights heroes. And so this is truly one of my life's greatest moments. I am humbled to be able to participate here in paying tribute to some of the extraordinary Americans whose footsteps paved the way for me and my generation. I feel blessed and honored to have partnered with Senator Sessions in being the Senate sponsors of this important award. This This is right. Now, now he's racist. Now he's going to come out and he's going to say Sessions is racist. This is the only card the Democrats have, and it doesn't work. And what's even more amusing is that the real racists here are the Democrats because all they see is race. All they see is race. And it's, it's amusing to watch them just tear themselves apart. They're so blind to their own racism they can't even see it. So, for example, Hillary Clinton. It was just released who Hillary Clinton would have appointed to her cabinet. She does not get that opportunity. Thank God. And what's hilarious about this list is that she has a list of people, the ghost cabinet, right? And it's people like John Podesta for Secretary of State. I mean, just awful. Right? Treasury Secretary Sheryl Sandberg, Defense Secretary Michelle Flory, keeping on Loretta Lynch as Attorney General. But the one that sticks out is Environmental Protection Agency. This is a quote, okay? Environmental Protection Agency, quote, likely an African-American, and or at education. So you name all these people, and then you say, also the black person to be named later. There's like a baseball trade where you trade a star and you get back a bunch of minor leaguers and it says plus a player to be named later. So you've got a bunch of cabinet members plus a black person to be named later, according to Hillary Clinton, which again is just an incredible thing. And that that is obvious racism. It doesn't matter who the black person is. It just matters that it's a black person. We must have a black person at the EPA. But they don't even see their own racism. This is the lady who, during the campaign, lectured Americans about their own unconscious bias. She said, we all have to be worried about our implicit bias. And I, as president, will go forth and explain to white Americans all of the unconscious bias that they harbor inside those puny little racist minds. And here's Hillary with her ghost cabinet and the phantom black person. Right? Random black person to be named later. I'm not a racist. 
mean, it's, it's just amazing. My favorite story of the day, actually, is this story from the New York Times, courtesy of a woman named Farrah Stockman. I believe it's a, a female reporter. And, uh, and here is the piece. It's just fantastic. I have to read it, uh, at least a large chunk of it. Women's March on Washington opens contentious dialogues about race. Quote, Many thousands of women are expected to converge on the nation's capital for the Women's March on Washington, the day after John Donald J. Trump's inauguration. Jennifer Willis no longer plans to be one of them. Miss Willis, a 50-year-old wedding minister from South Carolina, had looked forward to taking her daughters to the march. Then she read a post on the Facebook page for the march that made her feel unwelcome because she is white. The post, written by a black activist from Brooklyn who is a march volunteer, advised, quote, white allies to listen more and talk less. It also chided those who had said, we're only now waking up to racism because of the election. You don't just get to join because now you're scared too, read the Post. I was born scared. Stung by the tone, Miss Willis canceled her trip. This is a women's march, she said. We're supposed to be allies in equal pay, marriage adoption. Why is it now about white women don't understand black women? And then the article goes on about all of the conflict inside this group. And it's pretty amazing. I love this line. A debate ensued about whether white women were just now experiencing what minority women experience daily or having a hard time yielding control. A young white woman from Baltimore wrote with bitterness that white women who have been victims of rape and abuse were being, quote, asked to check their privilege, a catchphrase that refers to people acknowledging their advantages, but which even some liberal women find unduly confrontational. No one involved with the march fears the rancor will dampen turnout. Even many of those who expressed dismay at the tone of the discussion said they still intended to join what is sure to be the largest demonstration yet against the Trump presidency. But the debates over race reflect deeper questions about the future of progressivism in the age of Trump. Should the march highlight what divides women or what unites them? Is there room for women who have never heard of white privilege? And at a time when a presidential candidate ran against political correctness and won, with half of white female voters supporting him, is this the time to tone down talk about race or to double down? It's 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 amazing. I love it. The left is just ripping itself apart. They're ripping themselves apart because for the left, it's all about hierarchies of group victimhood. Right. So the left has this march and it's supposed to be women and women are the big victims. Right. This is the women's victim march. We're all victims because we have vaginas. Right. That means that we got to go and we got to march together because we have uteri. Except that some there, there's other victim groups that actually outrank women on the on the wondrous scale of victimhood in the hierarchy of victimhood. Gays outrank women, blacks outrank women, Hispanics outrank women. And so you can have what feminists like to call intersectionality. Intersectionality, and that means that if you are a member of one of these other hierarchical groups and it's a higher group than the women group, then that means that we treat you as a member of that higher group. And if you're not, then we treat you as a member of a lower group. So the white women are now victimizers. They can't be the people who lead this thing because they don't have highest status. Somewhere, there is the unicorn of intersectionality. And the unicorn of intersectionality is a, is a pansexual, transgender, black, Hispanic, Native American woman. Right? That's a... Uh, if you get all those, then you're the unicorn of intersectionality and you have ultimate moral authority to say everything and no one can ever say anything to you or about you. No one can ever say anything that differs from you. We all just have to anoint you dictator under intersectionality. Uh, and then you get to be the person in charge of the rest of the world because you are the ultimate victim. You have, you have fallen prey to every form of victimhood there ever was and everyone else must bow down before your cherished victimhood status. And the left is tearing itself apart over this and it's delicious because no one in the real world cares about this stuff. No one in the real world cares whether you're a woman or whether you're black or whether you're Hispanic. There are racists. There are sexists. But that's not the way America works, folks. Okay, Most Americans don't care enough about you to be racist or sexist. Most Americans are not sitting around going, how do we stop these particular women? We must stop that black woman because she's black. Most people don't have time for that. People have jobs. People have families. 
And mostly people just are apathetic about other people. Like the, the, the great lie about society is that we all care deeply about one another. It's not really true. You care deeply about your family. You care deeply about your friends. And the person who lives 100 miles away from you, yeah, you care somewhat about them. But when you read that a flood washed away the guy's home, did you really run to your wallet? Not really. That's human nature. Okay, That's just how it works. Now, the bad side means you didn't rush to your wallet when the guy's home washed away. The good news means you're not going to go burn down that guy's home because you don't know him and don't care about him. And so, the, so the fact is that, according to the left, this, this sort of group identity stuff is what politics is supposed to be all about. And so they've tried to voice that on the right. You're racist, you're sexist, you're bigots. But they're the ones who are excising members of their own groups. Right? You can be a member of their group. But if you don't hit that cherished high status, if you're not the unicorn, then you may actually be targeted. We have to stop for a second and say thank you to another one of our advertisers, Legacy Box. If you haven't checked out Legacy Box, I highly recommend it. I'm somebody who truly believes, I really do, that it's important to preserve the memories of your childhood and preserve memories from your parents. Uh, I I used to run a company in which I actually helped people write their memoirs because I think it's that important to preserve memory because it's the only record a lot of us have of people who have passed on or just people who you, or just memories that you want to keep. Legacy Box helps you do that in in a unique and wonderful way. What they do is they send you a box to your house. And you send back all your old tapes and your film and your pictures and your audio recordings. And you load up that box and they send them back to you in a couple of weeks on a thumb drive or on a DVD. So you preserve all your memories. You don't have to worry about the moths getting to it. You don't have to worry about the the film degrading. It's ready to watch and share and relive and enjoy. Fantastic Father's Day, Mother's Day gift. Fantastic Valentine's Day gift. It's, it's a really, really good product, Legacy Box. Uh, my parents have used it, actually. 25, well, 250,000 families across the country have used it. Uh, my parents are, are ecstatic about it. My dad dug out the, the tapes of his father, uh, and he's now sent those to Legacy Box and is looking forward to receiving back the DVD. Right now, if you go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben, you get a 40% discount on your orders. That's a pretty heavy slash on the price, and, uh, and that's, a, that's a pretty great price to begin with. So LegacyBox.com slash Ben, you get that 40% discount. And uh, they guarantee that all of your stuff comes back to you. You get to you get to slap a little label on it to make sure that they, they can track it through the process, tell you where it is. It's terrific, terrific stuff. Legacybox.com slash Ben to get that 40% discount on your Legacy Box. Okay, so, all, so the Democratic Party is falling apart because they're tearing each other apart. They're tearing themselves apart. They're more interested in the, in the genius of intersectionality than they are in building an actual coalition, which is why they're falling apart and losing white voters. I promise you, this lady, this Willis woman who was going to go and march with this women's march and isn't going to anymore, next time around, if she doesn't vote Republican, her kids will think about it. Because at a certain point, they're going to realize, I don't want to be seen. It's funny. They say, we all just want to be seen as women. Why don't you just want to be seen as a human? Why don't you just get rid of all the categories? You want to be seen as an individual human being with qualities and attributes. And eventually... When people get tired of being portrayed as just a member of a group, no more than your group, you want to be seen as an individual. And that's when you become prey to me, right? That's when you become prey to conservatism and conservative ideology, which is all about judging people as individuals based on their actions, not based on their intentions, and not based on their group identity. Okay, we have to break here on Facebook. If you want to watch the rest of the show, we have a lot coming up. Go to dailywire.com and become a subscriber. Eight bucks a month will buy you a subscription to dailywire.com. We have a bunch of new goodies coming out in the next six weeks or so. Uh, you can get. I think right now, if you get an annual subscription, you still get a free copy, a free signed copy of my book, True Allegiance, my novel, True Allegiance. Uh, and uh, that has been flying off the shelf. So go to dailywire.com for that. Also, you get 
the rest of the show on video. If you're if you're listening right now, you get to watch me on video. The show's much better on video than it is uh, even uh, even orally, uh, which is saying a lot since it's a fantastic show, even if you're just listening to it. But if you if you're watching it, it's even better. Uh, you get Andrew Clavin's show. You get to be part of the mailbag, which we do in a couple of days. Uh, I think in the near future, we're going to add a Friday show. We're going to add some extra goodies behind the scenes for for DailyWire.com. Uh, so make sure that you go to to DailyWire.com right now. Get that subscription and join us on the largest conservative podcast in the United States. So as the Democrats tear each other apart over intersectionality, over group identity, these women arguing with each other, white women versus black women, Hispanic women versus transgender women, Asian American, Indian American mashups that you found on the box cover of a 1980s Kellogg cereal, all types, all types, as they attack each other over their group identity, and they become less and less likely to, to actually build a winning coalition. And you can see them struggling with this. They're trying to find an idea to build around. So who do they go back to? Who do they go back to? They have to find an idea. So they go to the font of all wisdom and ideas in the Democratic Party. I, of course, am speaking about Senator Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Senator Bernie Sanders. He is 1,000 years old, and he has not left yet. He is still here. He is still wearing Depends. He will not leave. You will have to carry him out. And then you'll have to carry him back in because he doesn't know where you took him. So Bernie Sanders, they actually did a town hall with him yesterday. Again, I don't remember the last time Fox News did a town hall with like Ted Cruz or something, you know, a losing primary candidate. Um, but MSNBC did a town hall with him or CNN did a town hall with Bernie Sanders. And in this town hall, he laid out his strategy for winning back Americans. Um, it's not a good strategy. Here's what he had to say to a small business owner who complained about regulation. So really, you know, my question is... This country was founded on entrepreneurship. Why is this administration so against a business owner? Please tell me. I don't think this administration, the Obama administration you're referring to, is so against the business oh. owners. When you talk about really? tax increases, yeah. Obama did. I don't know your income, and I'm not concerned about your income. Obama did raise taxes on the top. The- excuse me. He raised taxes on the top 1% or 2%. And you know what? I would have gone further. I think the wealthiest people in this country are doing phenomenally well. 52% of all new income generated today goes to the top 1%. So you and I may have a difference. But yeah, I do believe that billionaires and multimillionaires should be paying more in taxes. I'm a business owner. I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not a billionaire. Okay. Okay? I mean, you haven't lived until you put a payroll on your credit card. I mean, this is the reality of, 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 of the backbone of this country. Well, the backbone of this country, I think we should support entrepreneurship. I think we should support small business. Not entrepreneurship. But, you know, but I am not supportive of large multinational corporations that make billions a year in profit and don't pay a nickel in taxes, nor am I supportive of those corporations who throw American workers out on the street and then move to China or to Mexico. What about the small businesses? I think we should be supportive. Is, do you think well, there's it, space to work with Trump on that? He's talked a lot well, about it, getting rid of regulations. Well, you can't say, in, what does that mean? Should a small business or a large business be able to pollute the water or the air or the food? No, I hope you don't believe that. I don't pollute air, I don't pollute water, I okay. don't pollute food. However, when these rules and regulations come in to cover all of business and you're starting trying to start a business it's tough enough in the gym i think we should take a look at it but it's you know the devil is in the details we got to see what those regulations <laughs> look at are. the hand motions them, right by the way just to stop it there the hand motions are every time he talks about small business it's this right he's pushing away 
He's pushing away. Every time he talks about things he likes, he's always doing this. It's always this, right, and this. Every time he talks about small business, it's this. I don't want to hear about it, right? He's pushing it away. I don't want to hear about small business. And if you talk about small business, I will talk about a large multinational corporation. First of all, there is no difference, philosophically speaking, between a small business and a large business. Except for size, there's no difference. Okay, and the size should not make a difference as to what rules apply. The same rules should apply to everyone. The same rules should apply whether you are a person who hires a million people or a person who hires 10. The same exact rules should apply. Bernie Sanders doesn't like that, and so he's there defending the Obama legacy. Again, they are running up on the shoals of the fact that most jobs in America are still produced by entrepreneurs, are still produced by job creators who have to invest money. And yes, they make money back from that, but that's because they're the ones taking risks. Guess who also goes bust in America's economy? The ones who take risks. I've run several businesses. Okay, Some of them have succeeded. Some of them have failed. But the fact is that I'm the one who took the risk. So if I took the risk, then I should be the one to retain the benefit and be able to hire people and share that benefit. But Bernie Sanders doesn't see that. So if this is the grand unifying idea to dismiss all of these members of the of the small business community, good luck with that, Bernie, because he is dismissing members of the small business. When he says, I want to tax people in the top 1%, okay, any corporation that makes over $400,000 a year in gross income, not in net, in gross income, is subject to those is subject to those regulations if you didn't file as an LLC. If you filed as a, as a personal, right? If you if I just if I decide that I'm going to hire ten people at Daily Wire and I and Daily Wire weren't an LLC, I just wanted to start a company and my company was just going to be me and I hire people out of my own pocket and I gross four hundred thousand dollars. I'm supposed to pay like a multinational corporation. That's asinine. It doesn't make any sense. But Bernie Sanders doesn't care about that. I don't care because rich people are terrible. Except for me, I have three houses, including one on a lake. And this is supposed to be the grand unifying idea that brings Democrats back to victory. And then Bernie Sanders pushes another wonderful idea. Tuition for free. Yeah, tuition for free. Here he goes. But today, in many respects, given the changing economy, a college degree is the equivalent of what a high school degree was 40 years ago. That means to me that what we have to do is make a simple statement. And that is that we will make public colleges and universities tuition free. Now, how are you going to pay for that? During my campaign for the presidency, I proposed a tax on Wall Street speculation, which would have more than covered the cost of making public colleges and universities. Wall Street speculation. And he's using old 1930s socialist language. Wall Street speculation. In other words, 401ks, people putting their money in SEP IRAs that that invest in stocks and bonds. And this is just, it's it's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. And, And when he says things like, you know, he's going to make tuition free and, and college is what high school used to be. Why do you think college is what high school used to be? Why do you think that is? It's because of a watered down public education system and people insisting that everybody have a college degree in order to go to work in a particular industry, even if you're majoring in poli sci, English or lesbian dance theory. That's why you're seeing a watering down of college. The solution to that is to have employers start to recognize qualities in employees after high school and to make our high school curricula better and to make our high schools better. To make our general public schools better, not to shove more people into an overburdened education, a, a higher education system where people learn stupid crap. You know, I, I understand that you're desperate to learn about art history, but there aren't a lot of art history jobs out there. It's not a major that tends to generate, a, like, name the art historians who are working art historians. Not people who have an art history major who got a job in something else. The working art historians. What are they, like 10? Okay, but, he's, but he's saying everybody has to go to college. And who will pay for it? Of course, the rich people. Of course, the rich They will always pay the rich people because they are an endless grab bag of loot. 
except for the fact that the reason that a lot of the rich people are rich is because they're the ones who are hiring a lot of the other people. The reason you hire people, it's, it's amazing how few people understand like really, truly basic economics. The reason you hire somebody is because they create surplus value for you. If they don't create surplus value for you, you don't hire them. If you can fix your toilet the best yourself in the quickest amount of time, then guess what? You're going to fix your own toilet. You hire a plumber because he frees you up to do other things, creating surplus value for you. Well, rich people who hire lots of people have more surplus value. That's why they're hiring people. They hire lots of people, and those people create, in aggregate, more surplus value. If you get rid of the surplus value, are they going to maintain the employment, or are they going to fire people, you stupid dumbass? And yet, this is the, the economics that Sanders pushes. And then Sanders says, well, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter. Donald Trump's a pathological liar. We are dealing with a man who, in many respects, is, but how can I phrase this, you know, a pathological liar. And I say that without any, look, I have many conservative friends and I disagree with them. They're not liars. They have their point of view. But time after time after time, he says stuff which is blatantly, absolutely untrue. Okay, and listen, I've critiqued Donald Trump's dishonesty as much as anybody else, but Bernie Sanders is a pathological liar, too. His entire worldview is based on lies, and he keeps telling them over and over and over. Tomorrow, I want to spend some time going over another one of his lies, that health care is a right, because that's an absolute lie as well, and it's a counterproductive lie. It's not just the Democrats who are falling apart. Hollywood is falling apart. And maybe the most delicious thing about the Trump election, as somebody who didn't vote for Trump, even I can revel, just revel and enjoy the complete meltdown that Hollywood is providing to all of us. The White House is now defending Meryl Streep's idiotic speech at the at the at the Golden Globes the other night. Uh, so Josh Ernest uh, says that the the that Meryl Streep was just magnificent. She was just magnificent. Uh, I, I didn't uh, I didn't see your speech, but I certainly read about it. It seemed to get plenty of attention. Um, and I think what I can say is she clearly was delivering a thoughtful, carefully considered message that she believes in deeply. And it seemed to me to be a, a fairly straightforward exercise of her First Amendment rights as a citizen of the United States. Yeah, I love when leftists do this. I love it. I love it when you say, somebody just said something real stupid. And the leftist goes, yeah, they have a right to say it. That is such a non sequitur. I'm not saying Meryl Streep didn't have a right to say what she said. I said yesterday she did. Sean Hannity put out a really silly tweet yesterday in which he said, question of the day, should Meryl Streep apologize to Donald Trump? No, Meryl Streep should not apologize to Donald Trump unless Sean Hannity should apologize to Barack Obama. We don't have to apologize to each other for making political critiques in a free country. That's stupid. But there are very few people who actually believe that Meryl Streep didn't have a right to say what she said or should be forced to apologize under any circumstances. It's a, it's a misdirect. Okay, Meryl Streep, free speech is Meryl Streep saying what she said. Free speech is me saying what Meryl Streep said is really, really, really nincompoopish. But it's not just it's not just the White House defending Meryl Streep. Talk about out of touch with the American people. Goodness. Ben Affleck is defending Streep as well. Um, the, this this wooden block of, of human uh, has has some suggestions about Meryl Streep. If there's one thing <laughs> truly in the world that we know it's not true, it's that Meryl Streep is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> if you look up in the encyclopedia, a great actress, a picture of Meryl Streep. 
Okay, the, 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 what I love again is the, the left's desire to paint Trump as, as a nut job. They say Meryl Streep, he said Meryl Streep is overrated. Okay, first of all, I actually do think Meryl Streep is overrated. But when, when the, what's amazing is the AP actually did a fact check of Trump. So Trump said Meryl Streep's overrated. The AP fact checked him. That's a subjective opinion. That's like saying, I thought Batman versus Superman was actually a pretty good movie, but I'm in minority. Right? I, that, that's, if I said, I think Batman versus Superman, pretty good movie, and then you give me the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, and you say, factually speaking, you are wrong. It's like, well, no, that was my opinion. The left is so interested in, in labeling Trump a liar that they pick on the dumbest aspect of this, which was the Meryl Streep part of it that, that he said she was overrated. But watching, watching the left just meltdown is really fun. Barbara Streisand continues uh, her full-scale meltdown because feelings, nothing more than feelings. Uh, she, here she was on MSNBC. I thought that she said what she said beautifully. And it's easy enough to see the video online of Trump uh, mocking. You just showed it, actually. And I completely agree with Merrill. It was a heartbreaking moment and so beneath the, the uh, dignity of the presidency, let alone any respectful person. I mean, what we need more in this world, I think, is kindness and common decency and um, what he did and how he reacts and how he needs, he has the need to uh, talk back and insult anybody who doesn't agree with him. Okay, so Barbara Streisand critiquing Donald Trump on politics. Yeah, this is the same lady who attempted to suppress any photographs of her residence in Malibu, California, creating what they call the Streisand effect, where everybody looked at photographs of her, of her, of her estate in, uh, in Malibu, California. Again, it is, it is wonderful to watch the left completely melt down over this. Um, okay, let's go to, uh, let's do some things I like and some things I hate in deconstructing, because that's a lot to pack in. Okay, things I like, let's do it. The, I've been reading uh, some Philip Roth. I, I recommended Plot Against America. I thought it was actually a pretty good book. Philip Roth is not a conservative author by any stretch of the imagination, but sometimes liberal authors, leftist authors, they stumble on conservatism almost by accident. And in a book called American Pastoral, which I think won the Pulitzer Prize, uh, as it says right on the screen, uh, it's, it, th- this book uh, was raved by the New York Times. It was one of the most powerful novels ever, moving, generous, ambitious. Here's the thing about this book. This book, American Pastoral, is a shockingly conservative book. The, the whole book is about this, this guy who's a, a Jewish guy, grew up in New Jersey, uh, and sort of and was this hero, this kind of sports hero in his family, and took over his father's glove-making factory and marries, a, uh, and marries Miss New Jersey. And then they have a daughter, and the daughter ends up being basically a weatherman underground terrorist. And he has to deal with the collapse of his worldview because his daughter is this weather underground terrorist. The book is meant to be a critique of the old school worldview, and what it ends up being a critique of is how the 1960s destroyed the country. The, the entire book, he, I'm not sure he meant to do this, if he did, good for him, but the entire book is really about how the 1960s view of hating everything that was American, hard work, the notion that we all help each other out, the, the, uh, the identity politics, that all of that actually destroyed the country. And I don't think Philip Roth is a conservative. But this is one of the most conservative books I have ever read in my life. Now, it's not for the faint of heart. There's, there's some graphic stuff in there for sure, particularly sexually graphic stuff, because that's what Philip Roth is famous for. But, it's, but 
it is a very effective piece of propaganda against the 1960s left that I'm not sure that Roth meant to do. It was meant to be more of a description, but this is the thing about reality, and it's why I, I like to say I root for reality. I root for reality because when you see reality clearly, you, you end up becoming conservative because it turns out that reality does not reflect the leftist biases of a lot of people. Reality uh, does not suggest that everybody is good-hearted. Reality does not suggest that identity group politics is effective in tying people together rather than tearing them apart in tribal fashion. Uh, it's, a great, it's actually a really good book, American Pastoral by Philip Roth. Okay, other things that I like. Norm MacDonald, uh, he's, uh, I've only stumbled onto Norm MacDonald's stuff recently because I have a lot of friends who are Norm MacDonald fans, so I'm really late to the ballgame here. But Norm MacDonald is pretty fabulous, uh, and he tweeted this out yesterday. He tweeted about Meryl Streep. What are sports fans and MMA fans, Meryl? Not artists, huh? What Ali did, what Brady does. That's not as artistic as pretending. Come on. And obviously being sarcastic about the fact that Meryl Streep said that, uh, it, with that if, there, if, there were no, if there were no Hollywood, it would just be football and MMA and mixed martial arts aren't arts. And so he's mocking her for that. And I would like to point out that Norm MacDonald is uh, entirely wrong about this. I mean, the fact is that there are real artists. Ali was not an artist. Brady is not an artist. The real artists are, are people like Ryan O'Neill in Tough Guys Don't Dance. I mean, this is Hollywood art. This is what art looks like. My husband is having an affair with your wife. I don't think we should talk about it. Does your pet kill them? Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. That's true art right there. See, that's the kind of art that we need Hollywood for. If it weren't for Hollywood, then all we would have to watch is, I don't know, that amazing college football game last night. But with, with art, we get to watch Ryan O'Neill, or we get to watch this, this piece of... Uh, foreign art is also great. We heard that because of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. We also love foreign art. Without, without the, the, the Foreign Press Association and foreign art, we wouldn't get genius like this from a Turkish film in this about 10 years. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Let's do it. (coughs) (coughs) I got him. Too much. All right, so Paul Krugman says that the whole Streep Trump thing reminds him of a theme that has been running through his thoughts, the death of honor. The left gets very high and mighty about things like decency and honor after spending years being indecent and non-honorable. Listen, I'm not a double standard guy, meaning that I, if, if 
I've never said that Donald Trump is a, is in, is a halcyon of, of decency and honor. He isn't. I mean, everybody who's watched me knows that I don't think this about Donald Trump, okay? But Paul Krugman being the, the source of wisdom on decency and honor, eh, so... Paul Krugman has compared Trump to Hitler. He said Mitt Romney wanted the poor to die, called him a completely amoral, a dangerous fool. In the last week, he uh, he tweeted. In the last couple of weeks, he tweeted, "Quote: Thought there was rightly a cloud of illegitimacy over Bush, dispelled wrongly by 9/11, creates some interesting incentives for Trump." So he actually has. Uh, so th- it's it's the final Krugman tweet here. That's the that's the important one. Uh, he's. Uh, he, he actually tweeted at one point that, um, that that last tweet, what that meant is that he thinks that Donald Trump might try some sort of false flag attack in order to shore up his legitimacy. And then he's saying that was two weeks ago. Today, he's saying that he really thinks that there is a lack of honor in American politics. Yeah, I'm going to take that really, really seriously. OK, other things that I hate. January Jones, uh, beautiful actress. Not particularly good actress, but very easy on the eyes. Uh, she is. Uh, she was in Mad Men, and she now says uh, she she did an interview with Red Magazine. I don't know, have you ever heard of Red Magazine? I've never heard of some of these magazines. Eh. Uh, she said that she is glad her five year old son Xander is growing up without a father, since dads teach boys quote bleepy things and perpetuate archaic gender stereotypes. She said, it's good to have strong women around a man, to teach him to respect women. He doesn't have a male person in his life saying, don't cry or you throw like a girl. All those bleepy things dads accidentally do. So what I love most of all is her saying these horribly sexist things about men while claiming that men are the ones who are responsible for sexism. And not all men say douchey things. Most men actually are pretty good fathers, which is why you have so many fathers producing pretty good children. The idea that females can replace males in a child's life is eminently demonstrated to be false by the fact that single motherhood is the single greatest link to intergenerational poverty in the United States. That's not just because of earning power. That is also because without a father in the home to provide a certain amount of stability along with a mother, you need both, without a father in the home to teach teenage boys particularly to be gentlemen and not to be animals, you end up with a worse world. Boys need men to model behavior. Girls need women to model behavior. Boys need women to teach them how to be, uh, how to be decent and civilized. Girls need men to protect them from other men and to, and to teach them how the world works. Okay, there are lots of reasons you need a mom and a dad, but January Jones saying that her son doesn't need a dad is really absurd. She says, I don't feel I need a partner. Do I want one? Maybe. But I don't feel unhappy or lonely. She says, he, he's, she's happy to find somebody. She says, there, I want a manly man. I love this. She says, I want a manly man in flannel with a beard and an axe. But then there's always something wrong with him. Like he's a Republican. Did it ever occur to her that manly men might be Republicans more often? Did that ever occur to her? That maybe the reason that masculinity has been bred out of the left is because of people like January Jones? Does she think her son Xander is going to end up being a manly man? with just a pack of women around him without any man's model manly behavior. What does manly look like from January Jones? It's just, it's, it's absolute silliness. And it's this sort of lecturing from the top. Charles Murray wrote a great book called Coming Apart. And what he essentially argued was that there are a bunch of very rich, wealthy, white people. It, the whole book is about the white community and the breakdown, social breakdown in the white community. So it has nothing to do with race. And his, his whole argument is basically there are a bunch of rich, white liberals who basically live their lives like conservatives and then preached like liberals, and all of the underclass buy into the ideas that are preached by the top. So the top 1% of white people in America are virtually all married. They virtually all have kids. 
And then they preach to people that single motherhood is fine and good and something to be looked forward to. And Hollywood preaches that too. And then people live like that. And it turns out that these decisions make them poorer, make their kids poorer. It's really despicable. It's really disgusting. And it's really a waste of, of human potential and time. And it perpetuates lies. Okay, boys do need men to help raise them. My father was extraordinarily instrumental in the raising of me and my sisters. I am extraordinarily instrumental in the raising of my children. An active man in the house being a father is not replaceable, is not replaceable by another woman, by nobody. You can't, you can't do that. And January Jones suggesting that all men do is teach other men terrible patriarchal things. Somebody should tell January Jones that the, the wonderfully civilized society in which she lives is largely a product of the so-called evil patriarchal men that she despises. Okay, time to deconstruct some culture. Let's do that. So we have a particularly rich episode of Deconstructing the Culture today, a particularly wonderful and rich episode of Deconstructing the Culture. We begin with Azalea Banks. I've never been a fan of Azalea Banks. I don't know her work particularly much. So this is not actually a piece of art. This is just a video of Azalea Banks, who's, what, is she a rapper? Uh, Yeah, rapper slash singer slash she shakes her butt. She's one of these? Yeah, okay. So just, just like every other pop star. So so she's so Azalea Banks, uh, she she released a video on Twitter in which she was sacrificing chickens. No, really, it's true. The amount of crap that's about to come off my floor right now, guys. Oh, my God. Three years worth of brujeria. Yes, you know I got to scrape all this up. I got my sandblaster, my goggles. About to go down. Real witches do real things. Okay, this is legitimately Azalea Banks with a sandblaster and a sander scraping away from the floor of her closet chicken entrails, basically. Right? If you can't see this, it's burned chickens. Okay, because she participates in something she calls brujeria, which is witchcraft in Spanish. And it's uh, and it's a bunch of paganistic crap, basically. Uh, and she practices that, and the entire culture just goes, okay, sure, why not? And then we wonder why we may have some problems with teaching kids morality. I'm going to go with a system. All the same people, by the way, who, who say that they love who love animals, right? The same people who will say that a dog and a human being have the same worth, or that dogs are, you know, that, that anybody who would torture a dog is the most evil person on earth. Where are all these people for Azalea Banks? Have I missed it? Have you guys missed the outcry? This this video came out like two weeks ago. Was there a big outcry that I missed? Where's PETA on this? Are they ripping into Azalea Banks for how terrible she is to the chickens? Or is it only if you're a Christian and you like to eat a chicken that it's a problem, but if you're a pagan and you're sacrificing a chicken in your closet and then burning it for witchcraft purposes, then it's totally okay. See, this is where multiculturalism is actually, their fundamental premise is a lie. They like to say that all cultures are created equal. That's not true. They, even they don't believe that. They believe that Western culture is inferior that all of these old-school paganistic cultures, they're actually better, they're more innocent. Never mind the fact they're sacrificing chickens in a closet, burning them, and then sandblasting them off the floor. It's totally fine. And then we wonder why kids look at church, and they look at, and they look at God, and they say, well, not that interesting. Maybe it's because they have celebrities modeling behavior for them in which witchcraft is treated in exactly the same method. Well, not even exactly the same. It's treated with higher reverence. It's treated as kind of fun and naughty. To, to engage in this sort of stuff as opposed to, you know, if you go to church, then you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Okay, let's, let's do, um, you know what, let's, let's skip, the, we'll do Pillow Talk next week. Let's instead focus in on this story about Ariana Grande because I think it's a better story. So Ariana Grande, 
as you know, the, the great donut licker of Lake Elsinore. Uh, we call her that because she actually went into a donut shop and licked donuts and then put them back in Lake Elsinore, so we'll never let her forget that. Uh, but she, she wrote a, a heart-rending story on Twitter. And here is her heart-rending story on Twitter. Quote, Went to pick up food with my boyfriend tonight, and a young boy followed us to the car to tell Mac, this is her, her boyfriend, who's a, well, what's her boyfriend's name? Mac Miller. Uh, to, to tell Mac that he's a big fan. He was loud and excited, and by the time Mac was sitting in the driver's seat, he was literally almost in the car with us. I thought all of this was cute and exciting until he said, Ariana is sexy as hell, man. I see you. I see you hitting that. Pause. And she says, hitting that? The F? This may not seem like a big deal to some of you, but I felt sick and objectified. I was also sitting right there when he said it. I felt really quiet and hurt since that moment. Things like that happen all the time and are, are the kinds of moments that contribute to women's sense of fear and inadequacy. I am not a piece of meat that a man gets to utilize for his pleasure. I'm an adult human being in a relationship with a man who treats me with love and respect. It hurts my heart that so many young people are so comfortable using these phrases and objectifying women with such ease. I felt like speaking out about this one experience tonight because I know very well that most women know the sensation of being spoken about in an uncomfortable way publicly or taken advantage of publicly by a man. We need to talk about these moments openly because they are harmful and they live on inside of us as shame. We are not objects or prizes. We are queens. Okay, sounds like this guy was a jerk, right? Okay, so what she says, you shouldn't... Note to, note to young people, don't walk up to random men and say to them in front of their women, or generally, your wife or your girlfriend is hot, I see you hitting that. It makes you kind of an ass. Okay, so she's right about that. There's only one problem. And that is that Ariana Grande should stop objectifying women. Because you see, she, perpe she, purports, she perpetuates the objectification of women. We did Dangerous Women in our, in our cultural breakdown a few weeks ago, but just to remind you, this is an actual line from Dangerous Woman in which she talks about not just her own desires to be sexual, right? not just her own desires to be sexual, but the fact that she speaks for all women when she says that. Okay, so it's, obviously you can't see this. She's dressed in lingerie and lounging around on a bed. And the actual lyric is, don't need permission. Made my decision to test my limits. All girls want to be like that. Bad girls underneath like that. Does that sound like objectification of women? If I were to say, all women just want to be screwed. Wouldn't that be a pretty horrible example of objectification? If I said all girls just want to be bad underneath. Wouldn't you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that sexism perpetuating the rape culture? Why, yes. Yes, it is. And that's why Ariana Grande shouldn't do it. And that's why pop culture shouldn't do it. So this lie that she said, well, I'm just expressing myself. I'm expressing my feelings. Once you say it's about all women, and pop culture does this all the time, this is the great lie of pop culture, too, is they say, well, you know, my art is just about me. My art is just, when you're distributing it to millions of people, it's not just about you anymore. Now you're making a point that, that is generalizable. The reason that art speaks to people is because it is generalizable. It's to make the particular general. That's the point of art. It's to make the particular experience general. If your idea is, if, if all that pop music perpetuates is this myth that women, all they want is sex, all they want is bodies and bodies and bodies, and that's, she has lines like that in her songs too, then are you really surprised when people might think, hey, maybe all women just want bodies and bodies and bodies? When she says that they're all bad girls underneath, that women generally want to waive consent, which is sort of what she says here. She said, don't need permission made my decision to test my limits. I mean, that is, it. that is her actually waving permission on behalf of all women. That's not a good thing, gang. And then there's her boyfriend, Mac Miller, who apparently, she was very offended by saying, hitting that, right? The, the, this guy said to her boyfriend, you're hitting that? 
Here's what her boyfriend, Mac Miller, says in his lyric to God is Fair, Sexy Nasty. Here's her, her delightful boyfriend. This is Mac Miller, the divine feminine. So here's the actual lyric, so we don't have to listen to this more on Warble. He says, open your legs, say yeah. Sexy, nasty, have no guideline. One day, four times, you don't mind that I don't care. Pleasure, pleasure. Yeah, that's a little worse than hitting that, no? Like, like that's what her boyfriend says publicly about women. But she's very upset about the sexism of saying that, hitting that. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny. When, when, and this is a general, this is a general sort of take on, on what the left does. The left has all of these generalized perceptions of the world, and they're very happy with them until they become particular to them. Then all of a sudden, those, they, they don't like it. Right? So it's all fun and games to objectify women generally, but the minute that it's applied to you, then all of a sudden you're very upset about it. And the same thing with, with, with this identity politics that the left likes to purvey. It's all fun and games until it turns out that you're the victim of the identity politics and you feel all offended by it. One of, I think, the, the important things that, that all people should do, take the general rules that you live by, or that you believe in, and apply them to you specifically, and see whether there's something that you like or something that you don't like. See whether there's something you like or something that you don't like, because otherwise you're not being intellectually, morally, or logically consistent. Well, when we come back tomorrow, we have a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the repeal of Obamacare, if that's going to happen. We'll talk about this apparent new news that, uh, that Donald Trump is not moving the, the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Apparently, there's also a new story that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has asked him to chair a commission on vaccine safety, which is a horrifying notion. We'll talk about vaccination and health care. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy thinks that uh, F. Kennedy Jr. thinks that vaccines cause autism. Absolute nonsense. Having him chair a government commission is really despicable. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about all of that. Plus, we'll get to Barack Obama's farewell address. That'll probably be the big story. He's giving his big farewell address in Chicago tonight. Presumably, uh, he won't talk about all the kids who have been killed in Chicago. Uh, But we will get to all of that tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.